Well, good morning, everybody. As Darren said, we're going to wrap up the Modern Family Series this morning with some ideas on parenting, which I think is the toughest of all the topics we've covered, right? Really? You guys think it's that easy? The only right I got was from somebody down front who's got a preschooler. You know, it, when I think about parenting, the wit and the wisdom that I love uh, comes from Bill Cosby, who said great things like, there are days as a parent that make you understand why in the wild some animal parents eat their young. <laughs> I won't put that in print. Uh, and then this, he said, in spite of the 6,000 manuals on child raising in the bookstore, it is still a dark continent. And no one really knows anything about child raising. You just need a lot of love and luck and, of course, courage. In spite of the fact that none of us are really experts about parenting, let me say that again, none of us are experts about parenting, right? Yeah, we aren't. Yet there are still a lot of people that want to give you advice about how to raise your kids, right? They do. If you don't believe that, let your preschooler have a meltdown in a public place. You get all kinds of knowing looks from people that assure you they know the right thing to do and you're not doing it. Or let your grade schooler start to have trouble socially adapting. Or let your normal, healthy, functioning child not figure out what college or trade they want to pursue in life by a reasonable age, let's say seventh grade. And everybody lets the wisdom of the ages flow through them. Your parents will tell you you need to figure it out. Your friends will tell you. I mean, the cashier at Walgreens will tell you wisdom that you need to know about how to raise your child. Everybody knows what you should do to raise your child, except you, it seems. And then maybe you're like us when we were raising our kids. Eventually, you'll reach out to some experts who have written books to try to get some help. Anybody gone that route? Okay, you're not going to raise your hands. Thanks. I feel real vulnerable here. Uh, There are a lot of books out there. I saw one statistic this week that said that you could read 10 books a day for 21 years and not read every book that's in print right now on parenting. So I decided a better route would be to go to Amazon.com and ask for the top 25 selling books on parenting. (laughs) It's an interesting list. Uh, Two of the top 25 books are by the same author's same title. They're by Melanie Beatty, and the title of the book is Codependent No More. It's the same book, one version for parents, one book for kids. It says a lot about our culture. Uh, There are three others uh, that I'll mention. First, this one, One, Two, Three, Magic. Now, let me just stop there and say, any book on parenting that starts with One, Two, Three, Magic, you need to be suspicious of it. (laughs) One, Two, Three, Magic, Effective Discipline for Children, 2 to 12. (laughs) Okay, what you can't read is the, the praise quote that's below that, children 2 to 12. It says, one, two, three magic saved my marriage and my sanity. 
which leads me to believe the guy that made that statement was married to a 12-year-old. It also leads to the conclusion he was from Arkansas, I guess. Um, I'm just saying, just keeping it real. Another book that was on the list was, is a good one I've heard, uh, Scream-Free Parenting, Raising Your Kids by Keeping Your Cool. I've heard it's a really good book for parents. But the one that caught my attention that I really wanted to le- read was this third one, uh, Confessions of a Scary Mommy. <laughs> Just seems to fit the culture of Westridge. It's, be warned, it's really raw. I didn't read the whole book. I'm not endorsing it, but I probably will buy it. Um, and give it to my daughter. I read excerpts of the book. It was written by a woman who she and her husband tried for seven years to have a child. They finally had a child. She was a graphic designer by trade, quit work to be a stay-at-home mom. And let's just say it wasn't everything she dreamed it would be. And then she started reading books, and she realized the books weren't everything she dreamed they would be. They weren't especially helpful or honest And so she started a blog where she just wanted people to be honest about parenting. So let's just tell the truth. It's not easy to be an at-home mom. It's not easy to be a parent. And the book book evolved from the blog. Here's some of what she said, some of her wisdom that I think is just downright honest. She said, the day you decide to change the sheets will inevitably be the night your child wets the bed. With a million toys in the house, your baby will without a doubt prefer to play with the pots and pans from the kitchen cabinet more than any expensive learning game you buy. Your kids will always, always fall asleep for the sitter who gets paid by the hour to entertain them. It's unfair, it's uncool and unjust, but unfortunately, it's just the way it is. Now that's real about parenting, isn't it? So I want us to talk about parenting that way this morning. Openly, honestly. I'll start by saying, I don't have all the answers. I was not a perfect dad. I did not have perfect kids. They are not perfect now. They're 28 and 26. I gave up hope a long time ago. But by the grace of God, they love God and they love us. And I'll take that. I don't believe the Bible lays out this exact formula for parenting. And so if you find this book that says, here's the formula for raising kids how God says, and if you follow this, your kids will turn out perfect, don't buy it. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. But what God does give us, I think, are some solid principles that will help us in raising our kids. Some of those are found in a passage I want to look at this morning in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. So let's dig in. Here's the first principle. Children make lousy centerpieces. I'll let that image settle for just a minute. Now that can be tough to remember because they're so cute and cuddly, especially your first child. By a child six or seven, it kind of loses the luster. But the first one is really cute, and you just, you want to spend every waking moment with them. And for a brief period, that's great. But to give up your life and devote your life totally for the next 40 or 50 years to that child or all of your children, 
Well, that's a different story. That truth was burned into my brain 25 years ago. When our two kids were preschoolers, my wife ran a daycare in our home. God love her. One of the moms, Stephanie, hired Connie to watch her only child. From the very first conversation, it was clear that Stephanie's world revolved around her daughter. She expected that the daycare and the other seven children would do exactly the same. All that mattered was what her daughter wanted to eat, what her daughter wanted to read, when her daughter wanted to sleep, whatever her daughter needed. And over time, as we watched her daughter, we got to see the devastating effects that that philosophy had on the daughter, on the mom, and on that marriage. Now, today, if that happened today, we would have a term for that kind of parenting. Anybody know what it is? Helicopter. I heard it in the back. Helicopter parenting. (laughs) It's not a good term. Left unchecked, a helicopter parent will carry that behavior through grade school, high school, college, into adult life. Helicopter parents call their college-age kids when they're away at school every morning to make sure they're awake and on their way to class. I'm not making this up. Helicopter parents call their kids college professors when the parent's not satisfied with the grade they got on a test or a paper. Helicopter parents even go as far as sending their child's resume to companies and applying for jobs for them. Now, part of that I get if they're still living in the basement and they're 35. (laughs) That's acceptable. But that's not what this was talking about in this survey that I read. They even go as far, these helicopter parents, 25% of employers surveyed said they have heard from parents urging the employer to hire their son or daughter for a job position and even reported the parents showing up with the child for the first interview. I am not making it up. It happens. And I don't think any parent actually starts off to be this kind of a parent. I think you just wake up one day and realize you are. Let me make it softer. You wake up and realize you have a friend who's this kind of parent. Now, it's great to love your kids. It's great to want the best in life for your kids. But to make your child the center of your universe isn't healthy and it's not biblical. In Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul gives what is probably his most extensive teaching on how to have healthy relationships in your life. It's a great two chapters, well worth reading. We can't do all of it this morning. But what he starts with is talking about relationships, including our family. And he begins by saying we should live with God at the center of our universe, not our children. Our primary goal, he says, is to follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says, first, 
focus on living the life that God calls us all to live. And really, that's the best gift that you can give to your children, is to live a God-honoring life. Live by the principles that God teaches. Then, Paul moves on from that and says, your second priority is to love your spouse. He spends the bulk of chapter 5 teaching how to love each other in your marriage relationship. And then Paul finishes with these words. He says, that's the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. (laughs) And then Paul, a single man, says these words. Now, this is all a huge mystery to me, and I don't pretend to understand it all. (laughs) Great words from a single guy. But what's clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a great picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. See, I'm a firm believer that kids need to know that every relationship in the house matters. Matters to God and matters to you. And you're actually being a great parent, not a bad one. When you get a sitter, And you go out on a date. And you invest in your marriage. You model for your kids what it means to love and treasure your spouse. So keep God at the center of your universe. Then love your spouse and love your kids. Second principle is this. I believe that in parenting we need to lose some battles in order to win the war. Now, let me explain what I mean. This is one of the biggest lessons I had to learn in parenting. Partly because of two things. One, I love to win. I just do. I mean, in a verbal debate, argument, conversation, I love to win. So I had to get over that. Second thing that influenced me was I grew up as a kid in a generation where parents were always right. That was what was modeled for me. Anybody else come from that? Parents are always right. So I had to get past that. And somewhere along the line, Connie, my wife, and I learned that it's really important to let our kids win some of the battles. And so from their youngest years, from about four or five, we believed it was critical for them to be able to make some choices that at least from their perception were their own. (laughs) The hard truth I had I had to accept was that they were going to make some decisions that I wouldn't make for them. My son, at 15 years old, decided he wanted to get his ear pierced. I heard that ripple go through the room. Is that something I would have chosen for him? Nope. Did I try to talk him out of it? You bet I did. Was it a wrong decision? Absolutely not. And so when it came time for him to get his ear pierced, I'm the one who took him to get it done. Now, when he sat in the chair and the needle went through his ear and it hurt, I laughed. (laughs) I said, hey, this is what you wanted. Sure looks like fun. But we celebrated when it was done. We helped him take care of it. And I didn't hold it over his head 
It's a passing thing. My daughter at 16 wanted to get her belly button pierced. It's a passing thing. She's 16. She wants to have babies. She's not going to keep that belly button ring forever. Eventually, she's going to have a baby. Her belly's going to grow. She's going to lose that. You don't lose that belly button ring. You end up with a womb with a view, okay? <laughs> Thanks. For me, those two things are battles that are not worth fighting. It's the kind of thing Paul was talking about in Ephesians 6. In the first four verses of Ephesians chapter 6, as parents, we like to focus on the first three verses, which are about obey, obey, honor, honor. We like to hammer on those as parents. We miss verse 4, which says fathers, and actually you can translate that original word as parents, which is a better translation, because it goes to both mom and dad. Parents, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. There are lots of ways we do that as parents, and I'm just as guilty as the next person. We can make it hard for our kids to love and respect and obey us by the way we treat them. As a parent, if I insist on always winning, if my kids never have a voice, then they're going to begin to build up anger and resentment towards me, and eventually I'm going to crush their spirit. So in our house, when our kids disagreed with us, we gave them a voice. The chance to respectfully present their thoughts and ideas on the situation. We'd sit down and we would have a conversation. They could present alternative ideas, but there were ground rules. It was never acceptable to yell or to storm off to your room and slam the door. Now, honestly, that still happens sometimes. And when it did, the kids forgave me. (laughs) But we always gave them the option to come and talk to us. If you disagree with a punishment, if you disagree with a decision, come talk to us. Sometimes they came up with a better idea than we had. Sometimes, honestly, the punishment they came up with was harsher than what we did, but it was acceptable for them. We're like, really? Yeah. Cool. (laughs) But what happened in the process was we would respectfully think through their, their ideas. Sometimes we changed our decision. Sometimes we didn't. But because we were giving them a voice, because they knew they would win sometimes, it brought a change in our relationship with them. It was easier for them to honor and obey. They didn't always, but it was easier. So parents, in your house, what battles are you treating like a war? Where are you fighting with your kids right now? And it might be okay just to lose. Because I can tell you from this side of the empty nest that most of the things you're stressing about as a parent right now, they're not that important in the end. Third principle is this. Ground them in God. I love this Sunday every year because, like today, we have parents who will stand on this stage and publicly commit themselves to this last principle. It's what Paul said in Ephesians 6, 4, 
Bring your kids up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. It's a commitment that I hope every parent in this room has made, or at least will strongly consider making. That we will, as imperfect as we are, give our best efforts to teaching our children about a God who loves them. That we'll do everything we can to influence and prepare and equip our kids to live a life in this world according to God's principles. And often, as daunting as that task is, it comes down to very simple things that we do every day. Things like modeling what we want them to become, that we live it ourselves. We share our struggles. We demonstrate how we're submitting to God in our own life every day by just taking simple, obedient steps of faith. That we pray for our kids every day, or as often as we can. My, my model for this is Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church Movement. She had 19 kids. That's not the model part that I look up to. She prayed for her kids one hour every day. If a mom with 19 kids managed to carve out an hour a day, I look at that and I go, I can carve out a few minutes and just pray for my kids. And then you can point them to Jesus in little simple things. When you see those things that happen in your day where you know God is for you, where you know God's at work in your life, talk with your kids about it. Point it out to them. When you see God at work in their life, when he's blessing, when he's moving, just mention it. Point it out to them. Constantly be pointing them back to Jesus as the one who's at work in their life. In the end, that scary mommy (laughs) did get some things right. Because being a parent is dirty and scary and beautiful and hard and miraculous and exhausting. It's thankless and joyful, frustrating, all of those things all at once. It's everything. It is an amazing adventure. Whether you have infants or adolescents or you're an empty nester with adult kids, it is an incredible adventure. And when we begin to live out these principles in our homes that God teaches, then our kids begin to understand grace. That they were prized and valued before they ever could have done anything to earn it. And we get a glimpse of the same thing. Somehow in that process, we begin to understand more fully what God meant when he said, I am your father. And you, you're my sons. And you are my daughters. And when we fully understand that, we are undone by the father's love.